writes. We have been working our way through these uh, various words uh, to help us in understanding uh, the, the Word of God. Our theme for the year 2023 has been confidence in the Scriptures, confidence in the Bible. But 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Looks like I'm going to need to tighten this up a little bit here, because it is dropping further than... Let's see here. There we go. Reminds me of when I would preach in the uh, fine arts competitions in high school, and we would have these little flimsy music stands, and you set your Bible on it, and the music stand would (laughs) teeter-totter, or it would kind of sink a little bit, and you're kind of doing this kind of thing. But anyway... Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 uh, addresses this particular area that we have been looking at uh, last week and and again we'll look at this week, and that is interpretation, interpreting the Bible, principles for interpreting the Bible correctly. The big word for this would be hermeneutics, and I personally believe this is more important than homiletics. I'm not saying that homiletics isn't important. It is. And I think that pastors, preachers, anybody who is teaching, declaring the Word of God, but especially pastors, evangelists, preachers, I especially think that they need to have lessons in homiletics, yes. But hermeneutics is so important. Not everybody is going to be a preacher, a teacher, evangelist, but we all, as believers, are to be students of the Word of God. So we need to understand at least some basic principles for interpreting the Bible and for studying the Bible. So we have spent some time looking at uh, these words, six words for understanding the Word of God. We've really been in this since uh, January and took a little break for uh, some lessons on uh, creation from Dan Clark. And of course, Michael Garamu was here. We talked about revelation, God making himself known to man, inspiration, God's method for delivering his word to man, preservation, God's protection of his word, translation, the communication of God's word into languages from the original languages, and then interpretation, the correct understanding of what God said. And then with that is 1 Corinthians 2.14, illumination. There are Bible scholars who are unsaved. There are some unsaved people who literally see the Bible as an academic subject. And they are not not submissive to the Word of God. They don't know Christ as their Savior. And they are missing the most important element in their study of the Bible. And that is the Holy Spirit's illuminating power. And that's what 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 applies to. We understand as we look at the news, as we hear different issues discussed, as we spend time just in and among the people of the world, we understand how important it is to see the world through a biblical viewpoint, a biblical lens. And when Christians are not rightly dividing the word of truth, When pastors are not rightly dividing the word of truth, and I even said this to somebody recently, and I've heard it said, and I think it's true, and I've repeated it to somebody this week, but 
Strong preaching produces strong Christians. Weak preaching produces weak Christians. And what are weak Christians most underdeveloped, immature in? Discernment, right and wrong. Making decisions based on the Bible and the Word of God. Again, the immaturity illustration of a child who runs out into the street and runs through a parking lot and puts their hand on the hot stove and sticks their hand in the hot oven or puts things in their mouth that don't belong there, right? Those are all signs of immaturity. Hopefully, by the time they're 15 or 16, they're not putting random objects off the floor into their mouth. Now, we have the 30-second rule, right? Certain things that drop on the floor and you just or the five-second rule, whatever it is. You may have a zero-second rule at your house. If it's on the floor, it goes in the trash. But hopefully by the time they're 15 or 16, right, they're not putting random objects in their mouth. But you have to fight a little one because they want to put everything in their mouth. Discernment. Those are obvious illustrations when it comes to physical maturity. But we have spiritual people, people who are saved people, who are carried about by every wind of doctrine. And they're immature who need the meat of the word they're still just drinking the milk of the word and they're like little babes in Christ when they should be mature individuals and they're picking up all the random objects of the world and sticking it in their mouth there's no discernment weak immature sickly christians so it's important for us to know how to read the bible study the bible and to interpret the bible and then of course what i think is Probably the hardest of all these is the application. That is the obeying, living, and following God's truth. So then that brings us to what we talked about last week. And I'm just going to put these up here on the screen once again. And that is the first basic rule for interpreting the Bible is to interpret the Bible literally. If the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. So we... We read the Bible, and we read it in a very plain way, understanding that there are, yes, figurative language principles that have to apply when it comes to allegorical language, symbolism, metaphors, etc. But we read the Bible in its context, grammatical, historical, cultural. We interpret Scripture by Scripture, And we compare passages that teach on that same or address that same doctrine or issue, and we compare them with other passages of Scripture. The Bible is not going to contradict itself. There are books written. I recommend a few books from Answers in Genesis, and they have, I forget how many volumes, that speak of questions of the Bible where there are apparent contradictions, but they're not contradictions, where, where the Bible is complementing and supplementing, definitely not contradicting. And we talk about dispensations, how God deals with man. He's one prime example of this is the flood. God is never going to destroy the earth again with a flood. He did that at that time. In that dispensation, for a particular reason, and as a really an act of mercy, because we wouldn't be here if the world had continued the way it was going. 
And it, really, it's an act of mercy. We talked about the invasion by Israel of the land of Canaan. Does God call us to go in and to take out cities and to kill every person in those cities now? There might be some cities that we would think of that deserve that kind of, right? <laughs> there are some cities that we would be like Abraham saying, is there even ten righteous in that city? And come to find out, there's honestly a lot more. But God hasn't called us to go into certain cities of the, of the world or certain nations of the world and conquer them. That was a time, that was a dispensation for a particular purpose that God was dealing with the sins of Canaan. And we've spent some time on that already. So we have to consider all of those things. There's plain language. What it says is what it means. Sometimes you want to get into all the hidden meanings and codes and secrets. And it, a lot of that stuff is just rabbit trails and dangerous black holes, caves that will lead us into nothing profitable. Uh, and there are lots of places on the Internet I do not recommend going into Google and saying, what does the Bible say? And I certainly don't recommend chat GPT for what the Bible says. Okay, There might be some AI that can spit out. And I did this just for the fun of it the other day. I typed in a particular topic, and I did it on chat GPT. And it was interesting. I asked for it to give me a certain perspective. And it did a pretty good job. But that's not going to be my source of Bible study. I am not going to get a sermon from AI. I'm telling you that much right now. I'm not going to tell artificial intelligence, please prepare a sermon for me on John 18. <laughs> it's not going to happen, okay? I need to be a student of the word. But anyway, we have to understand the Bible, interpret the Bible literally. There are times where there is figurative language, similes, metaphors, etc., that we can uh, obviously understand in its proper context. Interpreting culturally. These are the questions that we went through last week. And I think these are very good questions that we need to be asking. Because when it comes to interpreting culturally, we spent a little bit of time on this last week. Let me get to the right place here in my notes. And um, I need to get to the right slide here. Pardon me for just a second. I realized when I opened this up, I went to the wrong, went to the wrong slide. There we go. So we have some people who are even, in some cases, well-meaning people who like to interpret the Bible in such a cultural setting that they ignore the plain teaching of the Scriptures because they want to say, well, that's what Paul meant culturally. That's what... Peter was dealing with, culturally speaking. We can get into different examples. We spent a little bit of time on this last week. I don't want to get into the, the deep waters of this, but you know what I'm talking about. Many times when it comes to Bible interpretation, people are looking for what? An excuse for their sin. That's the danger with some people and with any of us, really, when it comes to Bible interpretation. We all have to be on guard against trying to read the Bible with our own agenda so that we can somehow find an excuse for our sin. Rationalize, spiritualize our, our, our sin. Make excuses for our sin. So we have to be very careful that we're not reading into the Scripture or reading out of the Scripture things that God did not say. He didn't mumble. 
He said he meant what he said. He said what he meant. And culturally, sometimes people get very wayward, very haphazard in their interpretation of the Bible. But at the same time, it is important for us to for, for us to understand the culture of the time in which the Bible was written. At the same time, understanding that the Bible is always relevant. Even in the 21st century, with all of our technology and all of our ingenuity and all of our inventions, the Bible is still relevant for today. And we do not need to so contextualize the gospel that we are taking the hard truths of the gospel out in order to try to make the gospel more appealing to the unsaved. And then we become very pragmatic. It becomes easy believism, a lot of false conversions, and the church fills up with unsaved people. And we do what Bill Hybels did up at Willow Creek years ago, and he did a survey of the community and said to a bunch of unsaved people, what do you want to see in a church? And then he organized his church based on the survey of a bunch of unsaved people. And that turned into a big mess. But we got to be very careful here. So let's talk about these principles again. First of all, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? We have to understand there was a particular group of people that may have been addressed. Did Paul write specific letters to specific churches? Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians. Philippians, even uh, some of the other uh, epistles, he speaks to saints scattered. Okay, so there was a specific audience at that time, specific needs, but we understand that there is application for us today, that the Bible continues to be relevant because, again, many times, it's the same sins, it's the same human nature, it's the same type of attitude, same types of temptations that they faced thousands of years ago that we face today. That hasn't changed. Names and faces may have changed, circumstances, some of the cultural context may have changed, but we're the same human beings with the same sin nature, and he is the same God who rules over all, and Satan is still using the same techniques and tricks. He just repackages the same errors and redistributes them. So we have to understand, yes, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? What are the differences between them and us? We do have to consider that. But then we need to get down to the theological principle. And then how does this theological principle fit with the rest of the Bible? And then make the application how should this theological principle be lived out? Now, hopefully we'll have time to do a sample in just a few moments. But let's look at another principle. Oops, I went too, too far. There we go. <clears throat> so we have interpreting literally, interpreting culturally, five questions, and then interpreting grammatically. Now, it's important for us to understand some things about the original languages. Again, I've only taken two years of Greek, and I was happy to get by with a C 
in a couple of those semesters and a B minus in a couple of the other semesters. And I am thankful for those two years of Greek, and I'm thankful that they have given me enough of a foundation that I can use my, my helps very well. But I'm also thankful for interlinear Bibles and Logos software and Strong's Concordance and, and some of those Bible helps <clears throat> that help us <clears throat> in understanding the original language. But we take that understanding, and I will sometimes give definitions of Bible words. Here is what this word is in the original language. Here is what it would have been understood by those who are living in that day. <clears throat> but I am not, I do not want to be the kind of preacher who's just constantly trying to wow you with my knowledge of the Greek and the Hebrew language and just make it a seminary class where I'm just constantly putting up words and definitions up there and show off my knowledge. I don't want it to be that way at all. But I do want us to understand, here's what this word is in the original language, here's how it is translated, and here is what they would have understood at that time, and how does that then apply to us today. So then we get into syntax. Syntax, word arrangement. And again, this is where we talked about principles of translation. Sometimes you have one Greek word, and there's a definition, a translation, that comes out in four or five words, or a phrase from one Greek word. And so there's a fair amount of interpretation even among the translators, as we've talked about. But as we interpret the Bible, we have to look at word arrangement. We think about our English language. How many times do we have dangling modifiers? We put the words in the wrong place. And we will say, I only do something or only don't do something. But then we can change that one adverb only, put it somewhere else in the sentence, and it can change the whole meaning. So syntax is important. <clears throat> we have to understand that. What about antecedents? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> antecedents? Are these those little, those little bugs that <laughs> crawl around in the kitchen or outside? What's an antecedent? <clears throat> Your mother's sister. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that matter? They, there, we, we hear too much about pronouns in our culture today, right? The ridiculous lying that goes on with pronouns. And supposedly we now are committing genocide when we use the wrong pronouns, misgendering, all that nonsense. Where, where does an antecedent come into play? Who is the he? Who is the she? Who is the they or the they are referring to? That's very important. We have to understand when interpreting the Bible who the they or the who or the they, the he, the she, the it is referring to. That can make a big, uh, helps us truly understand the passage. Makes a big difference. Okay, And then types of literature. I remember I was a, I was a teenager and there was St. Gabriel's just around the corner from my neighborhood where I grew up. And there were a bunch of us guys. We, we would go down. I would never do this today in my mom's neighborhood. My mom still lives in that same house. And there, was, there is no way that I would just send my kids down the street to go play basketball in the cul-de-sac like I did back in the <clears throat> late 80s, early 90s. But I know that sounds 
Well, some of you young people, that's ancient, I realize. That's like Noahic. But that's even before cell phones. That was before we had cordless phones. We had, you know, an actual wire that came off. Anyway. <laughs> so I'd go down the street, I'd play basketball. And there would be these Catholic guys who would come from St. Gabriel's who lived in the neighborhood. And there was one, one kid in particular that uh, we, we kind of uh, got to know each other a little bit. And one day we got into a Bible discussion. And he said, don't you realize that there are like three or four different creation accounts in Genesis? I was like, what are you talking about? Three or four? He's like, yeah, see Genesis 1, in the beginning God, and then later, you know, God messed up. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Remember, he messed it up, so he had to come back and he had to do it again. You see that here? And then, and then man messed it up. So God had to come back and redo it again. Don't we see that in, in the book of Genesis in the first few chapters? I was like, what? So I, I had to do a deep dive as a, as a teenager. And I went back and, I, and, I, and we had this discussion. I said, and I can't remember his name, and I said, it's the same account. It's the exact same account. It's a quick summary account, and then there's a little bit of an expansion, and there's a little bit more of an expansion. As a matter of fact... Me, being a sports enthusiast, I pick up the newspaper and I look in the sports. I know this is old school when you had a newspaper delivered to your house. And, would, and me being a San Francisco Giants fan, many times the Giants score wasn't in the morning newspaper. The Indianapolis Star would not have the Giants score. So then I'd have to wait until my parents allowed me to turn on TV. And if we had ESPN, then I'd have to wait for the clicker, or I would have to wait for Sports Center to finally get to the Giants score. I mean, nowadays, you just turn, pull the app up on your phone, right? But what happens? We, we see it even in articles today that you read. There will be the summary in the first paragraph. Then there will be a little bit more expansion. Then if you read the full article, you get a lot of more additional information. It is a practice of journalistic styling that we would be accustomed to but then we accuse God through the human author Moses of having three or four different creation accounts and somewhere along the line they got pieced together and we came up with the Pentateuch that's baloney and you can buy it for $1.25 at Payless thanks to inflation it used to be 99 cents the truth of the matter is, there is one account, God's account, that he wrote, that he inspired, God breathed, through the author Moses, human author Moses. And he says, in the beginning, God, and then he gives us a little bit more detail, and then he expands and gives us a lot more detail. It is a journalistic style. It is known in historical writing, evidence, evidence of writing. That that was a common way that they would write. And that was one of the accusations. Moses couldn't have written the Torah because they didn't even have writing back then. You know, it was a Cro-Magnon man. He was in a cave. He was going, oh, 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 oh. No, Moses was an intelligent being. There were intelligent, and then you know what? All of a sudden, in the, what was it, 18th, 19th century, they found the Code of Hammurabi, which dates back to 1750. Oh, wait a minute. There were intelligent people who had writing and who had laws way back in the time of Moses. Hmm. And then they began to understand literary devices and 
writing styles, and we have some of those same writing styles that we practice. Moses was taking the very word of God given to him, and he was recording it, writing it, in a style that was not unusual, that was not reflective of some sort of conglomeration of different fables and myths and stories that he somehow pieced together. No, he was writing the very word of God that God had breathed out to him as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is so important. That's why interpreting the Bible correctly is so important. We have narrative literature. What is narrative? Telling a story. Telling the account of an event. That has to be understood differently than didactic. What is didactic literature? Teaching, commands, principles, statements of principles and commands. We understand that more in what? The epistles? Whereas narrative would be book of Acts. Are there not didactic aspects to the book of Acts? Sure. Okay, but Paul's shipwreck in the book of Acts is historical narrative. Are there didactic aspects to that? Sure. Paul gets up and he makes some very didactic statements. But is Paul's shipwreck in the book of Acts just simply an analogy of the Christian life? We go through storms of life, and sometimes we have the storms like this, and sometimes we have shipwrecks like this. I heard a preacher for six weeks teach on the shipwreck in the book of Acts, and all he did for six weeks was simply give an analogy of the Christian life. And I thought, that's just, that's missing so much more of what God was teaching and saying. Why would God take all those chapters and go through all of those, those accounts in the book of Acts just for us to have an analogy, a nice story of a shipwreck and how, it, how we have shipwrecks in our life? No, there's so much more. But that's historical narrative, yes, but there are didactic teachings. And then poetry. Hebrew poetry is different from our poetry. Rhymes ideas and rhymes principles, compares and contrasts. What are some of the poetic books? Psalms, okay. Is Psalms poetic? Yes. Does it have a lot of didactic aspects? Sure. Does it have some narrative? Not so much. Okay, now we get to, uh uh-oh, the Song of Solomon. Is that poetic? Very poetic. We don't use those times of we don't use those types of terms. Okay, we 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 wouldn't describe our men, we wouldn't describe describe our wives as goats <laughs> or as calves in the field or as luscious fruit hanging from a vine. We wouldn't use those but in an agrarian society, in an agricultural society, those were terms of beauty of romance, of love. They understood in the song of, in, in the Bible times as Solomon was writing that account, those were very beautiful terms. Terms of the expression of biblical love, of romance. And we're, we're thinking, what kind of man is this describing his wife's neck as being like a tower? <laughs> but that was a very beautiful thing to say. We understand the cultural context, we interpret it properly, and we understand 
what he is saying there. And he's describing beauty and romance in a very poetic way. Proverbs, is it poetry? But isn't it very didactic? Yeah, very didactic. Okay, so those are just some examples. All right, now, I'm going to quickly go through these. Knowing and studying the Bible. These are four principles that go along with the three principles we just gave. They're just principles that kind of overlap with the the three interpreting literally, culturally, grammatically. You have the literal principle. Obviously, it applies similarly to the first principle we just talked about. The historical principle, we put that in there with the literal principle earlier. What was the original intent? What did the text mean to the people to whom it was originally written? We've already talked about the grammatical principle. And then the synthesis principle we put, I believe, under interpreting literally, where we talk about interpreting scripture by scripture. Okay, so just another way if those four principles help along with those other three. A lot of overlap there. So why do we study the Bible? Why, why is it so important? Well, first of all, for conviction of sin. We need the Bible to expose our true condition. That's one of the reasons people don't want to read the Bible. I don't know who it was that said it, but I've heard it said, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. And it's so true. But we need the Bible for conviction of sin, for fellowship with God. He talks to us through his word. We talk to him through prayer. See verses in scripture that back up that principle. Do we not need the Bible for strength for the day? I don't know about you, but if I ever get busy, my schedule gets off, and I have to delay my personal devotions, or I am not in the word, there is a hollowness in that day. There is a emptiness. There is a some of, some of us have high metabolisms or you have some sort of sugar issue or you need protein or whatever, and you know what it's like to have, I call it losing my life units. You can feel, I can feel my body losing its energy. My brain isn't firing properly. Uh, I've talked about putting sometimes energy drink because I have a high metabolism or something. Um, but we have those kinds of days when we're, we're out of the word of God. We're out of church. We're not under the preaching and teaching of God's word. We're neglecting our devotions. We're busy. We're running here. And we all have days where we're sick, we're tired, we're working both ends of the, the, the day, whatever it might be. There are interruptions, but we have to discipline ourselves. For church attendance, to be under the preaching and teaching of God's word, for personal devotions, personal worship, we need to regularly be under and studying, and interpreting, and knowing, and applying the Word of God. Because we need strength for the day. Do we not need the Word of God to help us in this wicked world in which we live? When we are getting information overload, when we have thousands, if not millions, of voices, when we have the access to data and information, we even have notifications on our phone. I have to turn off 95% of the notifications because there's only a few that I even want. But I check my phone for emails, 
There's different notifications, but we can get information overload. How do we sift through all that when we're getting all this worldly communication? Do we not need the communication of God through his word so much more? And then for wisdom and direction, again, these apply. I realize an overlap. We need his wisdom and his direction, and obviously we need spiritual growth. So why do we study the Bible? For all of these reasons. For conviction of sin, for fellowship with God, strength for the day, wisdom and direction, and for spiritual growth. So, I want to try to make this somewhat practical. Feel free to chip in if there's some things that uh, you have found to be helpful. But I think it's important for us to set aside a time and place every day to read the Bible, study the Bible. To meditate on God's word. We can meditate on God's word throughout the day in various ways, but we need to discipline ourselves for a time. For me, the best time is in the morning. Before everybody else gets up, but for you, it may be at night. Maybe you're more of a night owl. Um, We know that Christ would often get up early in the morning. And I have found that that works best for me. I'm more of a morning person. Get up, uh, get my Baptist brew, and get into the word of God. And... Make time for Bible study and for prayer. Avoid distractions. Maybe the phone isn't the best place to, to study the Bible from because notifications pop up. I'm tempted to go to the news, the internet, whatever. And then develop a system. This is just one system that might be helpful. But prayer is important in our devotions. Asking the Lord to speak to us from His Word. And as we read a passage of scripture, we apply these principles of interpretation, but ask ourselves questions like who, what, when, where, why. Uh, Again, going back to those principles of interpreting culturally, we can apply those. But identifying commands, lessons, and principles. Maybe we highlight. Maybe we underline. Um, I have a hard time changing Bibles because I have highlights, I have notes, I have underlines. Do you ever have a Bible that has certain on certain passages, in the, it's, the whole page is coming out <laughs> because you've been there so many times. And I, I have a hard time transitioning to another Bible because I have so many notes and things and I have so many highlights or whatever. But identify commands, lessons, principles. How does this apply to my life? And then uh, one uh, Bible professor that I had, Dr. Jim Berg, I think the map method is a very, very simple helpful tool for our Bible study. Meditate upon the Word of God, apply it, and personalize it. So those are some practical study helps. And then let's continue here in some practical study helps. Maybe there's a, I call it a meaty devotional. Now, I have the YouVersion Bible app on my phone. But the YouVersion, I'm not saying you can't use it. I'm just saying Warn, this is a warning. The YouVersion Bible app has lots and lots of ecumenical Bible studies. Uh, I have gotten away from most of the devotions, the devotionals in the YouVersion Bible app because as I started doing research and going through and following who wrote it, I was like, okay, uh, that church or that person or that background, I don't want to read a devotional. I noticed one time when I was reading through a devotional that there, was some, there were some things that were a little iffy, and I hadn't paid attention to the website and to the, the author. And I went out, and I was like, ooh, 
no wonder. <laughs> so I started to be much more careful. The Uversion Bible app can be good, but be careful the source. There are some ecumenical, I would just say downright non-gospel teaching, preaching sources. And some that interpret the Bible not very, not very good. So be careful if you use that. But there are some good devotion. Now, you can have the Daily Bread or whatever the other little devotional books. But oftentimes that's not enough. That's, that's just, I don't know, that's the, the little Snickers bar before you get the real meal, right? <laughs> you need the real, the real meal. Uh, use a meaty devotion. There's some good ones out there. Um, I can even give you some recommendations if you need some. Make a prayer list. That's why I love our church prayer list. Sometimes I'll just pray through the directory, but I often use the prayer list. Um, pray fervently and with focus. Uh, use a good study Bible. There are some study Bibles that are just a bunch of fluff. It's just cotton candy smashed in between pages, okay? But there are good study Bibles that really get into the, the meat of the word that can be helpful. Maybe a journal can help, recording what we read, writing down lessons, principles, applications, maybe using a concordance, supplementing our scripture reading with good Christian literature, uh, sermon notes. There's, there's a lot of fluffy stuff. You go down to Barnes & Noble, and you go to the religious section, and I would venture to say 90, 95% of that down there is fluff. Positive thinking. Jesus can make your life wonderful. 40 steps to having a successful Christian life. 30 days. 7 steps to Christian success. Right? And, and wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if it were that easy? Just go to the, just go to the cabinet in the morning, pull off the, the, the medicine bottle for our spiritual health, and take a couple pills of endurance, a couple pills of kindness. Some of us might need a few more pills of kindness. I don't know. Take the pill to fight off the bitterness. Take the pill to fight off whatever the spiritual disease is. Isn't that the way we want it? If we can just go down and get a needle stuck into our veins, an IV, of biblical truth and just stick it into our vein. And then we can be godly. Sometimes we want it that way. We want it that simple. When we have to live out the daily disciplines of spiritual disciplining our lives by the word of God. And it's a daily thing. And we get tired of the routines. But the routines are so important for our Christian life. We brush our teeth every day. Sometimes twice a day. Sometimes more than that. We floss. We put on our clothes. We have all kinds of daily routines. Most of us don't even know what shoe we put on first because we've done it so many thousands of times. We, if we sat there and we thought, what shoe did I put on first? Pretty sure, pretty sure I put my right shoe on, my right sock on first. But, I, you know, we don't think. They're so routine. But how did that happen? Because when we were two... Our mom and dad said, put this on. I remember, right shoe goes on the right foot. Left shoe goes on the left foot. You know how it is. The kid comes out and they got the shoes to go. <laughs> Sometimes they're in second or third grade, right? And they're still putting on the, <laughs> putting on the wrong foot. Kelly, oh, she, she would crack the whip with the four-year-olds. In K-4, they'd come into class and they'd be like, Bleh. I don't have to put my shoes on. And Kelly would be like, okay, dry it up. And you go over there. And you put them on. You can do this. Woo, woo, woo. 
You know, after a couple of days of whining and griping and complaining, they can put their shoes on. You know, sometimes it would be a third grader still learning how to tie his or her shoes. Unbelievable. But anyway, we go through all those. Yes. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. a great, yeah, a, a good Christian biography, yes. I mean, God used uh, Jungle Pilot by Nate Saint uh, in my life before I, I went on a mission trip. Um, hymn books can be good, especially good hymns like our hymn book with good doctrinal songs. Um, those are supplemental ways. Uh, good, good point. But we have all these routines, all these disciplines, all these things we do on a normal basis for our own health and for our own well-being, and so that we don't look like a total social goof when we go outside, we comb our hair, on and on we go. Uh, some of us, we don't even have to worry about our hair anymore, or very little, okay? But we do all those things to look good, to look social, and for good reasons. All those disciplines, all those routines, but where are we at spiritually? What are our routines? What are our habits? And sometimes the mundane things of life are the most important things of life. Because if we don't take care of those mundane, routine things, we smell bad, we look bad, and before long we're a social misfit, and then all kinds of other bad habits creep in, right? And all kinds of other health issues. So hopefully these practical study helps are helpful. All right, we only have a few minutes, but let's just do a quick... Um, maybe a five-minute, six-minute here sample of how we can apply these principles. If we had time, I wish we had time to go to both of these passages. Let's just go to Luke 15. Joshua 1, 1 through 9 uh, is one, but let's just, for familiarity, we probably know Luke 15 better. Luke 15. Story. The parable of the prodigal son. We have to understand, first of all, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? Luke 15, what's the, what's the, the audience in Luke 15? Well, we go back to Luke 15 in verse number 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And then we see parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of then the lost son. Okay, so what did the text mean to the biblical audience? Think about what happened with the son taking his father's inheritance. And we begin to think culturally. Wow, a younger son taking his inheritance early and then going out and wasting it? What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? Do we necessarily give our inheritance to our younger child in quite that way? But think about when do our children get our inheritance? When do they get the life insurance benefit, the house, the car, whatever. When do they get it? When we die. 
So what was the younger son saying to the father when he said, give me, your, give me my inheritance? I wish you were dead. Dad, I wish you were a dead man. And he probably took a lower percentage of the cut, but he was shaming his father. Okay, we have to get that into our minds. Is there a the- theological principle? Who is the father? God. Who is the younger son? Who is the older son who stays home and thinks he's the most obedient child? Right? And at the end, he's getting rebuked, right? Is there a theological principle? Somebody want to venture to guess? I know we're doing a six-minute Bible study here, but what, what's a theological principle we can draw from this passage? Doug? Right. For you know, receiving sinners. Right. And, right. Um, he is pointing out that you, know, you, know, you are not necessarily God's favorite just because you obey every single little thing and do all right. this out of your right. sense of duty. Who end up seeing their need for forgiveness? The younger son. The prodigal. Who didn't think he needed forgiveness? The older son who kept all the details of the... Yeah. And the Pharisees he's addressing, and even us pious, spiritually proud, religious, who can be unwilling to see our need for forgiveness, unwilling to see our sin. Whereas the prodigal saw his sin. Yes, he committed all kinds of sins, he brought a lot of baggage home with him, but he at least saw his need for forgiveness. So we see a theological principle there. How does it fit with the rest of the Bible? Obviously, God is a forgiving God. God welcomes a sinner who repents. We see God searching after, seeking the lost. Yes, Ray? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's prodigals out there who never come to themselves, never come to a place of repentance, and they're still living as if they wish God were dead. And they live that way. Yeah, good point. And then how can we as Christians live out this theological principle or these principles from this passage? Obviously, we need to repent. Obviously, we need to ask God for forgiveness. We need to submit to him and, and to love him and to stay close to him. Yes? Yeah, and the older brother, he didn't even care. He, he was upset that the brother even came home. Where's the compassion? Where, where, I mean, the father was waiting, looking every day, desiring for the, the prodigal to come home, and there's good application there, and desiring for the, the prodigal to come home, the, the, the compassion of our God and seeking after the sinner. So many things that we can learn from this passage. That's a really quick five-minute um, application of, of these rules for interpreting the Bible, but that hopefully helps us see uh, how we can apply these principles and it helps us in interpreting the Bible and then making the applications. I know that was a lot today. If you want um, some of the 
the notes or anything. I know this will be eventually posted on Sermon Audio, and uh, I'm even posting all of these lessons on, uh, on a YouTube channel that I can give uh, a link to eventually. But uh, anyway, I hope this has been a, a helpful series. Earl will begin a series in the month of June, and then in July, uh, I'm praying about what the Lord would have me to uh, go through starting in July uh, for a series of lessons. But thanks for being here. Any final questions or comments? No? Okay, well, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time set aside for this Sunday school hour, for these principles that we can learn and apply regarding interpreting the scriptures. Help us to, Lord, interpret your word correctly and make the applications that we might be more faithful, more obedient, and knowing and discerning what is truth and what is error, and what is right and what is wrong, that we might live for you and please you with our lives. Bless now the service to follow. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll get ready for the service to begin in about 15 minutes.